0: This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Clyde Snow and Sessions, based in Salt Lake City, with offices in Oregon and California. For over 65 years, Clyde Snow has represented clients throughout the West. Clyde Snow, serious about solutions.
1: Hello, and welcome to Ripple Effect, a podcast putting water into context. I'm Emily Lewis, your host, and I'm a water attorney here in Salt Lake City, Utah, practicing creative solutions to today's and tomorrow's water problems. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, and welcome to Ripple Effect. I have with me today, Kevin Mercer, and Kevin is the chief evangelist of Rain Grid, and we're going to talk a lot about his company and his products here today. But I wanted before we got in there to just say a quick shout out to the platform of LinkedIn. Kevin and I connected on LinkedIn and actually had a really constructive conversation about water that I thought was just one, just very reaffirming about our shared interest in water. But two, it was really great to reach out to a professional and and have kind of a constructive discussion about discourse and dialogue. And and I really appreciated Kevin's candor and his willingness to come on and join us today. So I, I just thought that was a nice introduction to him. So let's just jump right in, Kevin. We're going to have a ton to talk about. So would you give us a little bit of a background of kind of who you are, and then let's dive right into Rain Grid and kind of what you do.
0: Hi, Emily. Nice to be on the uh, Clyde Snow podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. And you're right, it's rare to start a conversation with a disagreement and a, <laughs> a, you know, almost a, what the hell are you made of? <laughs> and to to find common ground, which is, it's not uncommon. There are a lot of really great people doing really fabulous work. So it, it, I have to acknowledge the work that you're doing and the, and the work that people in Utah are doing to address the issues. Okay. So I am the chief evangelist of RainGrid. We are good question. What are we? We're an AI IoT powered rainfall retention and reuse tech firm. So we're into prop tech. But the story starts with, I guess, in my early twenties, I went on vacation back to a house that I used to live in, and there was a stream that flowed through the backyard I played in when I was in kindergarten. And I, I I found the house all right without a map, and it was that was a miracle. I went down through the backyard, and I discovered that they had paved it over with a four-lane highway. <laughs> and so I, I went back home, and I'd been working at that time on some Great Lakes water quality issues. And I decided that the the most important thing I could do was volunteer for a local watershed protection organization called Bring Back the Dawn. And that's one of the most uh, polluted rivers in, in Canada and here in the city of Toronto. You know, your typical urban river, it's got a highway running through it and a variety of other things. Lots of non-point pollutants. But we we took a new perspective on protecting that river, which was, let's talk about the water quality. Let's see, where does this water come from? And that began my education around urban stormwater and, and non-point source. And what was more important was that we weren't interested in hearing the engineers say, We've got a pipe for you. We're going to all solve this. We wanted to know what the results were. So we began an NGO back in the day called Riversides. And that NGO had the focus of addressing what came off individual residential properties in terms of volume, quality, and flow. And so for 20 years, we've been pursuing that and we built this campaign called five things you could do for the river and it was disconnect your downspouts, put in a rain barrel don't use toxic pesticides and fertilizers naturalize your lot etc now here's here's the kicker that was in 1995 oh wow okay so so we were a little ahead of the curve on lid and it wasn't until this guy called larry kaufman turned up And he actually sort of is the godfather of LID and and Larry Kaufman and I walked down through the Don River one day and he said, you know, what you're doing here is really inventive. And I thought, no, what I'm doing here is just like taking care of my river. I didn't realize how globally significant this was and that social marketing to property owners was the last thing that anyone was doing at the time. So we did our campaign for 3 years then the the money ran out the phone rang it was another city that said hey we heard about this campaign you do come and do it for us too and that happened again and again so we we went to pittsburgh where they wanted us to do just a campaign around do rain barrels work mm-hmm. and i thought that's a dumb question of course they work they're source control etc but you know unless it's quantified there's no real value to it so you that was the process of actually quantifying so that that famous little project was called the 9 mile run rain barrel initiative and what it did was it determined what impact you could have on a receiving water body in terms of quality quantity and flow of retaining 1 cubic meter of water on the lot and the report that came out indicated that the reduction in quantity and the increase in quality was roughly 26 to 50%. And that's just from taking one cubic meter off an average residential rooftop. Here's here's a quick factoid for you. Most people don't realize the largest cohort of impervious surface in a city is residential rooftops. It's not parking lots. It's not commercial buildings. It's not large industrial campuses, et cetera. It's the average individual residential rooftop. So that's what defines rain grid. We built a few rain barrel programs for cities. One of the ones we built was Washington DC's river smart homes program. And I say we built it, but we were the impetus for the great work that the people there did. We just seeded the idea that this is how you achieve watershed source protection. You start where the rain falls. And that's really what rain grid is. So in the 2011s, we had been looking at our career over the years and said, we're just not accomplishing what we need to accomplish. And green infrastructure, rather than growing by leaps and bounds, despite what people thought, was actually falling into marginalization. Only 8% of, of infrastructure expenditures is actually green infrastructure.
1: And that's a 2011 and statistic or a today's statistic?
0: That's a 2011. And it, mm-hmm. hasn't, it hasn't changed a lot since then. So what we decided to do was we said, okay, we have to change that narrative in two ways. One way I have to change it is to, it's to create the quantification. I mean, we already had the quantification from the 9-mile-run Pittsburgh project, and they were still not taking it. That wasn't enough. And the reason it wasn't enough, so that's the administrative side of it, and then there's the social side of it. And the social side is that as a survey done by Washington, D.C. determined, you can have the best darn residential rain barrel program possible. In other words, designed by Kevin Mercer and the the crowd at Riversides, Mm -hmm. and they'll go out and they'll install your rain barrel for you properly. They'll give you the social marketing out the yin-yang to make sure that it's maintained properly. And guess what? Hmm. It won't happen. Only 24% of people who receive the, I guess, gold-plated Cadillac Standard River Smart Homes Rain Barrel Program installation actually... Used the water in their rain barrel, and only 12% actually maintain the filters in their rain barrels. So we said, look, we've got to do something to solve this social problem. People say one thing, do another. They love to talk green, but when it comes to actually maintaining it, they're not going to do it. We kind of knew that. So that was the impetus for what became RainGrid. I was talking to a friend of mine who was a software designer, and he said, when I, I told him I wanted to automate a, a rain barrel and find out what the data was. And the worst thing about software people is when you ask them questions like that, they say, Oh, that's simple.
1: Yeah. It's like, oh, I, hate
0: yeah, <laughs> I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. So yeah, you just have to write an algorithm. I go, no, 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 stop, stop, stop right there. I have to write an algorithm. I might as well do my own dental work. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. I'd love to have the story say that, yeah, I learned how to write algorithms. I didn't. But what we did is we eventually found somebody who was a climate software modeler. And he wrote our algorithm that measures the annual rainfall in an event basis. In effect, a predictive forecast algorithm correlated to roof area that then determines how much water is going to come down your downspout, wind up in your cistern. And then it, takes your cistern and says, okay, is the volume in the cistern more or less than what I need to store that forthcoming rainfall? And if it's less than what I need, then I'm going to empty this cistern automatically through an electrically actuated valve. And I'm going to make sure that we have enough storage space to have net zero runoff from your rooftop.
1: Hmm. Okay. Oh, wow, Kevin, that was a marathon. I just took a ton of notes. <laughs> I love it. This is going to be so fun. Okay. So just to summarize just real quickly for our listeners, so really kind of like the purpose of rain grid is really getting at water quality control at the source. So you're really trying to capitalize on the fact that the residential rooftop space is the largest impervious space in city areas and urban areas. And by capturing rainfall, you are treating it at the source, not letting it go run off into cities or or streets, picking up petroleum products or, or, you know, whatever pollutants that a drop of rain collects on its way down to the river and trying to almost like decentralized water quality activities in in kind of a nutshell from what I'm hearing you say.
0: Totally. Yep. That's
1: right. Great. Great. Okay. And then you kind of have like a, a new element though, where you have connected this with the algorithm you just mentioned that has a predictive element of it so that, that those using your products can kind of know what's coming, evacuate space in their cistern, and then actually kind of, you know, maximize the fact that they have this on-site treatment or on-site collection system so that mm-hmm. you're actually, we're actually kind of getting the bang for our buck.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. they don't have to do anything. Okay. The, the yeah, the algorithm and the internet of things peripherals take care of all of that. The valve oh. is elect- electrically operated, so every every cistern has a controller system on it. That controller system is linked to a what's called a data visualization and uh, analytics platform on the cloud called my.raingrid.com. And that shows you on your phone or on your desktop, how much rain is in your cistern. It tells you the temperature, the barometric pressure, and the volume of water. It also shows you the status of your valve and whether your valve is open or closed. And it gives you the opportunity to use that water if you so wish. But if you don't wish, it'll just automatically empty it when the algorithm predicts a rainfall event greater than the storage capacity necessary in the cistern. It's all taken out of the hands of the the property owner. But here's the, the the thing about rain grid isn't that that is, that's not that, that's not what makes rain grid powerful. What makes rain grid powerful is it's a grid. This is supposed to be done on a lot by lot utility basis. That's the greatest challenge we have with green infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Isn't that people don't Take it up, but that it's not implemented on a utility scale for mm-hmm. property owners. So if you presume that you don't have to have a water meter, for example, because, hey, water meters just aren't my thing. Well, I'm sorry, but if you want water, you have to have a meter and we're going to charge you for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I guess I remember going back to the the arguments that took place in city council in the city of Toronto about whether or not it was socially equitable to charge for drinking water. No. And and of course, the, the, the perfectly well-meaning people turned up and said, you know, drinking water is a human right. It was like, you're damn right. Drinking water is a human right. But drinking water isn't free. It costs, it is the most expensive, hard to maintain, pinnacle human infrastructure anywhere. Just think about it. How many people globally can walk to their tap, turn it on, put the cup to their lips and go, I'm safe. Not enough. Not enough, not (laughs) Not enough, enough. exactly. (laughs) But on the other hand, then the amount of water we use when we do that is only 8% of everything we use. Mm-hmm. So human consumption is only 8% of the entire water. So the other element that makes rain grid so powerful is, this is the core element of circularity is that we're taking rain, which is otherwise disposed of as stormwater. This is perfectly clean water. Why in the world are we letting it run off our properties into a gutter, into a pipe, to a stormwater pond or whatever, or not even treated and straight into the river or lake carrying, God knows the horrid things Mm -hmm. that come off roads and the sediments and the phosphorus and the nitrogen, the whole nine yards, you know, the blue green algae pollutants. And rather than saying, okay, hold on, We spend all this money creating tap water so that we can pump it to your house that you can turn on a sprinkler and water your lawn with what people would kill for in Gujarat, India, or whatever. Yep. The absurdity, the human absurdity is just massive. Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, no, I'm with you. I think, I I mean, I think it's, the problem comes down to the fact is we're we're too smart of monkeys for our own good. (laughs) (laughs) I think about this regularly. And this is, you know, like I said, I'm a frequent link dinner, and and I had a discourse with with another group of folks the other day, kind of asking about Western water policy and asking kind of all these big, big, big picture questions. And in my quote, and this is kind of going to come back to your your thoughts on stormwater and kind of water quality, But my quote at the time was like, I don't know how you unwind the West, you know, because the Mm -hmm. the reality is, is we find ourselves just at kind of like the latest chapter of a history that comes before us that we didn't have dominion over, you know, we didn't have choices over what was made, you know, 60 years ago, or at least myself in my 40th year don't have any, I didn't have any choices over the water policy decisions made decades ago. And so I think it's really interesting because it's a, at the same point in time, we're always innovative, but then we're always catching up with our prior innovations,
0: <laughs> you know,
1: and so yeah. at some point in time, or, or you're handcuffed,
0: that, you're handcuffed by history.
1: Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, or just that, that you know, you're kind of dealt the cards that you have. And so
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think that, you know, I just think this point about the fact that we take clean water and let it become stormwater very quickly is just a really good, at a certain point in time, that's just kind of the the consequence of the infrastructure we've chosen to build over decades. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but don't blame yourself. It has nothing to do with Western water law. Yeah. It's it's pretty much generally universal. I mean, whether mm-hmm. it's Eastern North America, I mean, a lot less so in Europe. Lawns aren't, aren't a big thing in tightly designed cities, but, but nonetheless, irrigation, I mean, you generating water for, for public irrigation or swimming pools or fountains or whatever, you know, it, it, the, the weird world is that, Oh, this has to be drinking water standard, or there could be pathogens in the water. It's like, Oh my God, are Mm -hmm. you serious about this? You know, it doesn't have to be, Mm -hmm. but the, you know, the, the way that, the way you make money in engineering is to say, oh, yes, it absolutely has to be. We have standards. We have to retain those standards. You know, you can't flush your toilet with rainwater. It has to be filtered rainwater. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, well, fine.
1: Now I ask you kind of on that train. So I'd like to maybe unpack a little bit for our listeners kind of more some of the physicality of your project. So sure. you, you mentioned that it's a grid. So, you know, I'm assuming that you have these individual rainwater systems and rain grid systems that you've installed that kind of individually have their automated valve and this predictive element. And then, you know, the more people in the neighborhood who who have a similar system, you build it up into that grid, get the cumulative effects. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit more? And I want to talk about the cumulative effects here in a minute, but just like, You mentioned that with your predictive model, you can kind of know what stormwater is coming and the automated valve will open or close. And you said that the individual can kind of choose what they want to do with that water. So is the water collected in these rain grid systems moved into gray water systems or moved into sprinkler systems? Like like the actual water that's collected is, is serving the purpose of stopping clean rainwater from becoming stormwater, but it's also a value asset right there in the sense that it's a collected barrel of water.
0: Correct. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, yeah. so mm-hmm. so then, then when we started this project, the number one question people used to ask me is, what are you going to do with all the water? Mm-hmm. As as though, oh, this is a problem to have on your hands. And I'm talking, really? So I used to laugh at people and go like, what the hell is your problem? I'm going to either do one of three things with it. I'm going to use it interior to the envelope to flush toilets. I'm going to use it exterior to the envelope of the building for lot level irrigation, or I'm going to recharge the groundwater table by putting it back in the subsurface soil. Mm -hmm. In the worst case scenario, I'm going to take it and I'm going to put it back in the sewer system but you know, and and here's what's relevant: the sanitary sewer system, because you actually have built your sanitary sewage facilities on the theory that there was more water in the pipes than there currently is now, because you've been telling everybody to conserve water. They've been conserving water, and I know that your sewage treatment plant has gone septic.
1: So you need so the water in the sanitary sewage system. You actually need the water, not not yeah. during storm events,
0: though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but not during storm events. No, because yeah. then you'd have CSOs, and yeah. everyone would go nutty. So the answer is yes, but but our primary, we most people think of quote unquote rain harvesting as oh, I'm going to take this water, and I'm going to reuse it in my property. Mm-hmm. They don't really realize how much water we use. Yeah. So, so here's, here's the bright fact, I think almost everybody, I, I, I'm certainly not, not, you know, the progenitor of this knowledge, 40% of everything your local water utility produces, typically goes to outside irrigation. Mm -hmm. Yep. 40%. That's astonishing.
1: And I would say, I think in the West, it's even higher than that. Like, I want to say our municipal footprint for like grass and stuff is like 60% of our municipal use. Like, it's very, it's a very high number because it's so hot here, you know, and there's so little water. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's so little water and and, and everyone wants a green lawn. Yes. All right. Except for you and I.
1: Well, and uh, the state of Utah will soon no longer have green lawns, but yes, go ahead. We're we're going to get on that train.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. So there you go. That that's the, the long and the short of is that sure you can water your lawn with this thing. Mm-hmm. You can water your garden, but largely, and this is where circularity comes in, and this is where Western water law comes in, by the way. So impoundment, you're not allowed to impound water under Western water law because you're depriving somebody downstream of their seniority rights to that water.
1: Yes, I wanted to um, I, and, I actually, this is one of my questions for you, so I'm glad you're getting here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
0: so so this is the whole thing, is that We're not impounding water. We are simply rerouting it. We are putting it back in the groundwater table, which by the way, if we didn't do it, you would have an MS4 problem because that water, that nice clean rain is coming off your roof a little bit less clean than it fell, because there's a little bit of problem, you know, depends on what your roof is made of. But generally speaking, it's a little bit less pure than it was when it fell on your roof. Then it gets into a cistern. If that cistern is dark and the water is filtered, then you're not going to be growing algae other than sort of biofilm on the inside of a tank. And that's normal. And the biologics are are correct with that. And you have your little dead pool at the bottom and all the microbes sit there and they eat one another. That's all very good. That water, you can take that water, put it on your garden beds with complete security that, that that's not going to kill you. hmm or endanger you, etc. But if I put it back in the groundwater table, then what I'm doing is I am growing what is the desert that we've created in a city. So mm-hmm. cities are watershed deserts. Just because they've got pipes running through them, in, in my city here, 70% of the base flow of the Dawn River is stormwater. Hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's no longer springs and you know all the 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 leafy green things that we all presume watersheds are constructed thereof. It's stormwater pipes, and it's like that in virtually every single city. Look at L.A., the mm-hmm. famous L.A. River. All that is is a concrete stormwater conduit. It it virtually doesn't flow except during stormwater.
1: Not our effluent. I think here in the in Salt Lake City, I think in the in the hot peaks areas of the summer, of the Jordan, which is the river that runs through the south to north and, and actually terminates in the Great Salt Lake, I want to say like thirty five percent of the flow in the summer is reuse effluent from our water treatment mm-hmm. plants. So it, it's it's yeah. not it's not natural native water. A, a large component of it, you know, it's it's the water introduced into the system through non natural means.
0: And and largely, I'll bet your sewage treatment plant is comprised of base flow of springs that were piped or creeks that were piped when the land was developed, Mm because that's how we've built cities. We tend to take nice, fresh little, you know, rivulet streams and go, that's inconvenient to have that running here. We'll we'll just put that in a pipe, Joe. What are you going to do to the water? Send it to the treatment plant Mm -hmm. or dump it back in the, you know. That's the only differentiation. Does it go to a treatment plant or does it go straight in the environment without pretreatment or whatever? The fact that it goes to the treatment plant doesn't really make it clean, but nonetheless, we'll cross that bridge another time. The point is that we've got this urban landscape and it doesn't matter where you are. We are not friends to the rivers or the creeks or the little interstitial tributaries or whatever that you know you cut and fill that's a bulldozer and a bunch of clay put a building there joe and you know we'll worry about the drainage so it's called the drainage industrial complex by the way
1: i've never heard that but i'm going to definitely take note of that drainage industrial complex okay
0: okay so quick pop quiz where isn't there drainage in the world Uh boat (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: uh, but go ahead. No, I you like that have, one, you, but drain. <laughs> you, you pump your bilges yep, but nowhere yep. okay just 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 cast your mind to this the number one pump energy demand in the world is moving water it isn't mm-hmm. oil and gas there's more pump energy expended in the moving of water globally than any other energy demand Yeah. The the drainage industrial complex globally is probably in the multiple hundreds of trillions of dollars. Every single human habitation in one form or another has rainfall, therefore, it has drainage. I never thought about that, but that
1: probably is an accurate statement,
0: you know? Yeah. So we live in the drainage industrial complex, and we as watershed protection people, are struggling against that that is our first struggle and that's where circularity of rainfall comes in is whoa i'm sorry you can't have my rain i've got a better use for it Uh, okay there's a bunch of things i want to kind of
1: jump off from this part of the conversation here so you've got your grain barrels really the point is if you're not going to immediately use it for like immediate irrigation needs for you you're you're using the collected water as basically like localized recharge of the local aquifers so Mm -hmm. i'm assuming they're just like spreading it on their lawn letting it soak in right
0: you'd actually you know that's the least constructive thing you can do Mm-hmm. We actually, we, we build dry wells.
1: Okay. Okay. So you're going one step further to actually recharge. Okay. Tell, talk to about oh, your dry well. Exactly. Okay.
0: okay. Well, so the dry well is designed to do within 72 hours, the job of infiltrating the whole volume of the retention vessel, whether it's a rain barrel, a cistern, or a blue roof into the groundwater table. Okay. And, and that's important because you get what are called uh, sequential storms, Mm-hmm. So in for example in Washington DC we have to design the storage and the infiltration to be able to capture retain and infiltrate let's see 1.7 inches which is i think 35 millimeters of rain on lot fully and completely in order to qualify for stormwater retention credits so, I mean, that's, that's the way of the world now is that places like Washington, D.C. have created new markets, and mm-hmm. we've been waiting for these markets. Maybe it sounds like life is is a bed of roses in the green infrastructure world, but the truth of the matter is it's a hard slog business. There mm-hmm. isn't a lot of money spent on green infrastructure, and the truth of the matter is that if, if we were actually doing it to the extent we should have been doing it decades ago, we would have saved boatloads of money. How do we know? Because, you know, what what you've got now is you finally got people who are quantifying the value of rainfall retention based on saved infrastructure expenditure. Mm-hmm. And deferred costs almost. Yeah, it's it's deferred cost, but it's also shifting the ROI mm-hmm. away from conventional to blue infrastructure. And that's what's really important. And I, I apologize to the, to the listeners. I sort of swap back and forth between green and blue. I prefer blue. I like water. I call it blue. And, and as long the, as it's not green, t- blue algae, we're fine.
1: That's right. That's,
0: that's right. And then some people are calling it, it blue, green, no green, blue. That's right. They're calling it green, blue infrastructure. I am just like, just don't call it blue, green. What would that be, would that be teal? Can we just call it
1: teal infrastructure? Teal, yeah. <laughs> it's just a, you let's just be accurate in our color yeah. wheel, guys. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's that's a very seventies color though. So maybe not. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's the long and the short of it. That, We want to change the paradigm from drainage to circularity. And there's more than a little bit of madness in all of this, that water is also the most carbon intensive product that most of us have on a utility scale basis. Strange enough, we think it's energy. And yes, it is obviously energy, but depends on where you get your energy from. In my world, only 24% of my energy isn't green or carbon neutral. Oh, okay. So is that just because your
1: portfolio is 75% like renewables for in Canada? Yeah, it's it's actually,
0: well, in (laughs) Ontario, it's nuclear or it's hydro. And there's a little bit of, and then then there's gas peaking. We chose to close all Mm -hmm. our coal plants and we were ahead of the curve on getting rid of coal. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the joke in Ontario was if we had waited until after Paris, and closed all our coal plants, we would have met the nationally determined contribution for Canada and would have been able to say, thank you, bye-bye, done our bit. No, you early adopters have to
1: get hit twice. <laughs> yes, that's right,
0: we get hit twice. So it was like... Yeah,
1: Can I? so Kevin, I want to ask you something about something you just said, though. So we've got these storm water retention credits. So you know, basically we are incentivizing installing these rainwater barrel systems combined with this dry well system you have that actually infiltrates the water back into the groundwater system not passively but actually very intentionally so and then you get credits for it and that is intended to defer additional investments or, or defer need for additional water treatment costs can you talk a little bit more about that credit program like is that like a discount on the homeowner's bill at the utility is it a you know like wh- who's getting a-
0: credit where and for what well it's it it, it's interesting the answer is yes and yes okay so they they have a series of charges in the dc area and i'm going to mangle them because I, i i can never get the acronym straight and i didn't write it down but if i am a developer and i make changes to my property i have to get a stormwater management assessment and then I have to pay for the impervious charge so that there's that. But then there is actually something called the impervious surface charge. Okay. And then there is another charge issued by the regional water utility as well. The long and the short of it is that if I buy S R, so hold on. These are called SRC, stormwater retention credits.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so if I put in blue infrastructure and i get to net zero i can actually sell those credits oh
1: wow so is a legitimate market it's not just an incentive yeah, that's right. like a yeah. mitigation market for those people who don't yeah. choose to install infrastructure yeah. like
0: this no it's it's actually like a carbon hmm. market so if i generate positive credits so if i go to zero and then start capturing more than i need to mm-hmm. then i can take the excess, and I can sell those credits one of two ways, either back to the city of Washington, D.C., which will buy them for a basement price. Mm -hmm. They have a minimum price that they will pay. And that's supposedly to sort of reimburse the technology or the infrastructure expenditures on a certain interest cost and interest cost of money, basically. Mm -hmm. Or you can sell it on the open market yeah, and okay. yeah so if if another developer isn't reaching their their stormwater retention requirements then they can buy srcs from me so that's where we are right now that's the wild east of stormwater credits in in the ch- sort of chesapeake bay region mm-hmm. and they also have uh, ecosystem restoration credits so the i have a colleague who works in the wild eastern and western world of Ecosystem restoration credits, and they they basically farm them for GHG credits, which they then sell on the open market.
1: And GHG are so greenhouse gas. Sorry, greenhouse gas. Oh, okay. So they serious trading in credits, the big credit oh, yeah. trading system. Okay,
0: that's mm-hmm. right. So we can we can also let's see twenty three years ago, twenty three years now, no, maybe it was only thirteen years ago. Thirteen years ago, my NGO wrote a paper for what what was called then at the time the Toronto Atmospheric Fund about the carbon footprint of rain harvesting or the the carbon beneficial footprint of rain harvesting. We actually worked out if I took all the rain off a building and replaced all the water, which is highly carbon intensive, what would my GHG credits be? We did that kind of for shits and giggles, but now Mm. it's actually sellable. So if I if I harvest rain or retain rain and I put it back to use and offset potable water, then I get a carbon credit. If I aggregate enough of them, then I have a lot of credits. And is this on, so, cause like I did like a paper, oh goodness, this is back
1: in like 2008, 2010, when I was actually back in law school still on like the, because one thing the US has not been great about is like the carbon trading market. You know, mm-hmm, we had, mm-hmm, they had yeah. like the, they they had the East Coast, I'm trying to remember what it was called. There was a proposed climate, tr- basically a carbon trading program along the East Coast of the United States back in the, you know, mid 2000s, early 2010s it kind of got off the ground but didn't really so is this was this available to you because you're canadian and canada had a robust greenhouse gas trading program already in existence of which you could participate in no okay so no
0: we just we just everyone was talking climate change in the other i mean everyone everyone talks climate change anyway but no it's we just we we knew that there was something called the water energy nexus. Mm-hmm. That that people did not understand that water only flows with energy. So mm-hmm. maybe I'm a little different because my first career was in energy. I used to work in offshore oil and gas. And then I decided I found Jesus and I, you know, never never went back to an oil rig in my life. Mm-hmm. So the long and the short of it is that there's an embedded carbon in every cubic meter of water. Mm -hmm. and if you don't pump, if you don't have to pump that water, you don't have to store it and treat it and do do, 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 all those things. These are called the, so carbon's divided into scope one, scope two and scope three is scope. One is like energy that I use directly. Scope two is energy that somebody uses directly to produce a product for me. And scope three is the energy that's used to make the products that I buy. Mm -hmm. Water is scope two. People don't think about water as very carbon intensive, but it is. And that's part of the circularity of water is also reducing the massive global footprint of the water industry. And just think about the drainage industrial complex. I'm just going to say There's that. There, <laughs> I there you literally go. Literally
1: just put a star. I was like, we're going to come back to the drainage industrial complex. Okay. Okay. Oh, this is making sense. No, no, this makes sense. This makes total sense.
0: So, so in, in, there are places in the world we pump water 24 7 through 65 in perpetuity or you'll go glub glub glub
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's just humanity we 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 have hubris coming out the yin yang and our hubris is all largely predicated on have i got a brick that can fly for you and and that analogy comes from a friend of mine who's an aerospace engineer he says a brick will fly if you put enough thrust behind it it's like and you're water pointed. flows uphill to money. so that's right. Water <laughs> flows uphill to money, exactly. And it only flows uphill with with power. Yeah. so there you go. That is literally what it is that we put insane volumes of power behind water.
1: Yeah, we do. And then, and if you don't have to do that because you've done on site retention and on site disposal in the sense that you're not really disposing of it, but you're recharging the, you know, yeah, the clockwork, yeah. there's your dry well, then you've offset those energy costs to treat and dispose of that water as well as the water quality benefits of not having that water be there and pick up all the nasties on the way to the treatment plant. Wow, this is great. So tell me a little bit more, just, you know, like now that we kind of, you know, here in our last couple of minutes here you've mentioned washington dc you've mentioned you guys are based in toronto you've mentioned pittsburgh where is rain grid you know where where are these concepts and thoughts really taking off like where typically is your operation who's been picking up on this you know who, who's picking well, up what you're laying down what you're laying down
0: it, this is so so i just i just wrote an application for a uh, a global sort of innovator competition and we won one of 10 spots and I'm not allowed to tell you who we won with, but Mm -hmm. I can tell you, it's going to be announced in this little Swiss town called Davos. So, Mm -hmm. There's the only clue I can give you. And what I said to them was, listen, you know, we're not usually this inept, but I've got you know, a bad news story for you. I had more money when I ran an NGO and I had more staff. And this is my way of saying the market for prop tech sucks. Nobody will buy it. Nobody will invest in it. Why? It's a circular argument. The investors all want to see the buyers. The buyers want to see you have the money. If there are no investors, there's no money. If there are mm-hmm. no buyers, there's no money.
1: It's a circular economy otherwise. the other way. It uh, is, it the, is the opposite of the circular, circular economy. economy. <laughs> exactly. the,
0: the economy of poverty. Uh, not, I am not joking. I had more money when I ran an NGO than I do now running a corporation. And I had more money producing passive social marketing programs than I do producing intelligent infrastructure. It's not that this isn't done anywhere, but... But where this sort of AI, IoT stuff really found its meme was in the resilience of existing inadequate conventional infrastructure. So if you take inadequate conventional infrastructure and add AI, IoT to it, it changes it entirely. So, I mean, I did the same thing. We did rain barrels, which, you know, we thought we were... We're just the, the little boy scouts who think we're closer to God than anyone else, I suppose. <laughs> you know, or we walk a quarter inch off the ground. And then we added IoT to it. We made it amazing. And we're going to network it to all the people and up to you know, the homes where the rain falls, et cetera. And the market just went, yeah, big deal. And the reason it went, yeah, big deal is because utilities just don't want to do it. The last place they want to actually see asset-managed utility-based infrastructure is on private property. So we had to create our own business model called the Community-Based Public-Private Partnership. And we had to actually say, don't worry, we'll install it, we'll maintain it, and we'll operate it for you. You just buy the outcomes. Hmm. Okay. Even with that... We still get the engineers going, you have to prove it's not going to break down. Well, no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. I am not Elizabeth at Theranos. Mm-hmm. I am not going to lie to you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you things break. Well, then we won't buy it if it breaks. Everything breaks, pal. But there, there you go. You see, if green infrastructure has to be cleaner than clean, greener than green. and impervious to problems. So Otherwise, is a solution
1: to that, that you have like service centers, that you have people that go out and like-
0: Yeah, that's it? right. We okay. have to literally do that. And so all of that requires a huge upfront investment. So if there are any family offices who want to invest in a really cool startup, you know- Rain fall, Great is that. Yeah, Rain <laughs> Great is
1: that. Yeah, no, it's no joke. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, it seems like, though, it seems like with all of the recent activity with the Inflation Reduction Act, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, all the the ARPA money, everything that's been thrown at Mm -hmm. especially water. Water has been just like an incredible recipient of federal funds in recent years. It seems like that, that would be, would open doors for you to have utilities want grant programs or, you know, it seems Uh, that utilities would be looking for cool programs to partner. They aren't.
0: No, I'm sorry. They aren't looking for cool programs. Okay. They like what they do. And I, I I sat on the the Water Environment Federation Rainfall to Results work group that that wrote the next edition of Rainfall to Results, and one of the conversations we had was, look, this is called Rainfall to Results, not Stormwater to Results. Let's eliminate the word stormwater. And yeah, and the the majority of people on that committee are engineers, and they work for Black and Veatch and WSP and. No go. Really, I mean, like their hearts are gold, but oh my! But are you kidding me? I, I mean, I'm, I'm leaving out certain words in that statement, but they just thought I was mad. They looked at me and said, "We make really good money treating, you no, know, managing stormwater. That's our job." I went. But you don't have to manage stormwater. What are you, mm-hmm. a Pollyanna? Everything is drained. Everything needs us. We do the work that's necessary to do. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, but can we at least start by changing how we talk about this? That stormwater is what happens when we don't do our jobs right. And they went, we do a very good job managing stormwater, like, Mm -hmm. no, 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 I'm not saying you don't do a good job, but maybe that's not the job we want to prioritize. Why not? We make a great living doing that. And that Mm -hmm. was the conversation. It just went around, around, around. I don't blame my colleagues in the engineering profession. They're well-meaning people. But the truth of the matter is at a certain point, you have to call the game on account of darkness and say, listen, this is not sustainable. We cannot go on spending like this in perpetuity because A, what you're building isn't sustainable. It -hmm. only runs with insane volumes of money put into it. And of course, then you stop yourself and you go, oh, but of course. Because they're making a 17% rate of return. Mm -hmm. Why is it in the engineering, you know, fraternity's interest to promote something that reduces their ROI? It isn't. So how do we get around this? Because, I mean, I think, I mean,
1: because, so here's my theory on water in general, you know, like I have a. I teach water law at the law school. And so I have students come and ask me and they're like, I'm really interested in water law. And I don't know, it just doesn't seem like there's enough, like a lot of those jobs out there. And I'm always like, look, I am a big tent person. There are enough problems out there that, that you will find a job. Oh, yeah. Smart <laughs> I, I am. I, I do not see it as a competitive. I see it as a collaborative field. You know, there there is mm-hmm. there's plenty to do for everybody. Mm-hmm. So oh, absolutely. So is, is that kind of a a pitch for those folks as being like, it is, it is. Okay. Like we don't have to focus on a anymore. We've moved on from a now let's focus, you know, my solution works for a let's put your skills of networking on B or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. no, no, yeah,
0: exactly. I I mean, it, it, there is, I guess, the reason I say this is I'm, I'm a firm believer in how you talk about something informs how you think about it. and we talk. So where is away? I'm going to throw this away. Sorry, I've never met, I've never been to a way yet.
1: Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to throw this. I'm. I have teenagers. I'm going to. Where is away? When you <laughs> had a lot. Yeah, where is away?
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so that's the whole long and the short. I mean, the simple things like that. Uh huh. You know, when I when I began my my environmental career back in '88, I was only informed by the fact that as a as a little boy scout i used to go on paper drives and mm-hmm. the only reason i knew that paper had value be, was because i was a a little boy scout and we used to do paper drives to raise money for the boy scout troop and and so inherently when i came across a company a large telecommunications company that threw out insane volumes of paper i said hey listen there's money in that paper and and that was that uh, you know so so it's there is no way there is no such thing as waste water Mm -hmm. let's never ever use the word waste and water and so let's not talk about storm water sure it falls during a storm but that's not what storm water is storm water is a pollutant what falls from the sky isn't storm water that's rain which is why we called it rain grid not storm grid it's kind
1: of getting into like the one water the kind of one water conversation a little bit
0: yeah and, and, and so so i prefer circularity to one water because one water is just an administrative reality the other side of what's really important about rain grid is that it actually opens up to the democratization of infrastructure to the public
1: oh i'm so, all about distributed infrastructure go on <laughs>
0: yeah well this is the whole thing yeah. so people are you're a taxpayer i'm a you know an infrastructure planner i decide what you're going to pay for. And then we go, oh, we need to build some source control infrastructure. You pay for it, Mr. Property Owner, or Ms. Property Owner. And, and we go, hold on, wait a minute. There's a problem here. Guess who benefits when I manage rainfall on my own property? The it's not, <laughs> yeah, It's not me. It is the utility. All the savings flow downhill. So that's the other thing that cities and utilities need to come around to, that for them to actually save money, they need to build cooperative operational relationships with property owners, whether they're private, residential, private, you know, commercial or schools or whatever. The point is the cost of managing, quote unquote, stormwater magnifies the further it goes away from the source. Because the pollutant loadings increase. And I don't care, you know, what you say you do, you know, your 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 catch basin filters, et cetera, or your 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 conveyance LID, and so on and so forth. That stuff is all more expensive than anything you do where the rain falls. And that's the key component of rain grid and has been for decades since we formed riversides, is that we manage rain where it falls. And right. the closer you are to where rain falls in its reuse, the lower your cost, the lower your energy, the the greater your representative democratic relationship. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's important as well, is that that utilities have to go away from the we decide what's good for you, and you pay for it.
1: Well, I, hopefully this will happen too, you know, like you said, you have your, your presentation in a small town called Davos coming up in the near bit. <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 know, I, mean I, I kind of say that tongue in cheek, but I also feel that there's a there's a need for people to be the out in front people. Like the reality is, is you know, we, we talk a lot about this in, in ag optimization here in the state of Utah and in, in our water market activities here in the state of Utah. People aren't going to do it unless they see it done. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and, and so, you know, unfortunately that puts the burden on those people who are out first. But like, you know, maybe that is the way to change the conversation It's just not to stop talking and start doing, you know, and, and get some some supporters and, and you know, it sounds like you've got a couple of very successful projects. It sounds like Washington DC is was very successful, it sounds like your work in Pittsburgh was very successful. And so I would like to see somebody like this absent the fact we didn't get to talk about the fact that we're harvesting rainwater is illegal in the West. <laughs> No, no,
0: no, no, impoundments illegal. Yes, yes, flow through Uh, is not. Yeah, you know, I will will challenge anybody. Take me to court for retaining my rainfall that I put back into the groundwater table. Go right ahead. I'll see you in court. I know, I know a great Western water law specialist.
1: <laughs> well, I, unfortunately, we didn't get a chat to up, chat about that day because that is honestly and sincerely a very interesting wrinkle, wrinkle in the red, west. Because you know we do have some interesting thoughts about rainwater here in the state, but I guess that's true. If it's a pass through, I think that's a very good argument about the water staying in the system to fulfill a downstream water right.
0: Of course, um, it is. But in the yeah. meantime, I've eliminated your MS4 requirements.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I mean, it's a complicated co- question here. All of. I mean. Yes, I, I'm with you. I think that we need to have a little more nuanced conversations about kind of what infrastructure really makes sense for us, how that fits with our laws, how that fits with our conditions on the ground. So I, I'm with you on that. So well, we can always have another conversation. We should, actually, we should. And on that note, we do have to run because our time is yes. though. But Kevin, we will have another one because this is fascinating. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm going to take the drainage industrial complex back with myself. I'm really, really am glad that we kind of got to talk about the water energy nexus because I think that is something that we don't talk a lot about, but is so important. Is there anything just real quickly you didn't get a chance to touch on that you'd like our listeners to know real quickly before we conclude? And we will definitely have another conversation at another point in time because this is fascinating and I would love to hear about how things are going. And I'd love to hear how Davos goes, and just kind of check back in.
0: Okay, one last uh, point I'll leave with everybody is that that, that what matters is your voice. Your <laughs> voice is if you want to do a retention program with your utility, tell your utility. Don't be mute about it. This is you know the, the this is the Jane Jacobs moment or or whatever. This is this is the opportunity for us to actually show that we will build the rain grid if you won't. And we're here for anybody who wants to move forward on that basis. They the, I think what's important about it is that it's it's a utility of the people for lack of a better term, but it's really the homeowners utility. Tell your insurance company that you are retaining your rain and demand a credit for reducing the downstream flood effect. Tell them that you're making your home or your, your, your community climate resilient by ensuring a circular rain recharge of the aquifers that are otherwise, you know, in the Ogalas totally being overdrafted. So it's your voice. Your voice is very important.
1: I agree with you. I don't think we could find a better way to end there, Kevin. That was perfect. Wait, that was a good bow. <laughs> well, Kevin, we'll definitely have you back on. We'll definitely put your posting here for Rain Grid Inc. and, and let folks kind of get to know you guys better. And hopefully you know those voices can raise up and we can get to see your products here installed more broadly.
0: Love to. I look forward to chatting with you again, Emily. It has been a real pleasure. And for somebody, I said let them choke on their dust in the in the Salt Lake. <laughs> You know, the truth of that is there are great people working everywhere to solve what are intractable, wicked problems, as Will Cerny calls them. And I'm glad to have met you and to have contributed to the conversation. Thank you. Nothing said in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. This podcast was produced by Andrew Humphreys. Find Ripple Effect on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.